Well, if you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Genesis, to chapter 39. We, we read chapter 37 this morning. We'll read chapter 39 tonight. Um, I'll try to get to, and I say I'll try, I'll do whatever the Lord wants me to do, but I'm thinking that I'll get to what I meant to get to this morning, but we'll see how that goes, all right? Uh, Genesis chapter 39, it's not as long as chapter 37 was, but I would like to read the, cha- read the entire chapter, so I would ask for your attention. Uh, maybe it would help you if you read along with me or, or whatever works for you. But try, to, try your best uh, to focus on God's Word as we, as we read it here tonight. Because just as I told you this morning, um, it's not so much what I say. As a matter of fact, what I say don't mean a whole lot. It's what God says that matters, all right? And so we have His Word, and we will be reading it tonight. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 begins and says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, uh, officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house, uh, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Verse three. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had. He put into his hand, and it came to pass from that time, uh, from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and uh, over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had, upon all that he ha- that he had in the house and in the field, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread that he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wife not uh, what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought into this house, came he in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, after this manner did thy servant to me, that with wrath that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, 
he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Let's pray. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather here tonight, to worship together, to pray together, uh, to hear your word preached together, to read your word together tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, the blessings that you poured out on us. We thank you, Lord, for each one who's come our way tonight, Lord. We pray that you would bless each and every one and bless their household, bless their family. We prayed tonight, Lord, asking that you would just have your way and your will here in our midst. God, we're asking for your blessings tonight. We're asking, Lord, for you to show up and, in a mighty way and do what only you can do here tonight. And we'll give you all the glory for it. Lord, I know there's ones among us with needs. There's been several needs that were mentioned already this evening. I know there was ones that were unspoken and there was others that uh, more that what wasn't spoken as well. And Lord, I know that you're the searcher of hearts and there's nothing hidden from you. Nothing you don't know, nothing you don't see. So Lord, I'm praying that you would move upon each and every one of us. God, you know where we stand with you. You know those of us that uh, are walking with us and walking with you and those who are not. You know those of us who are on fire, wanting to serve you with great fervor. You know, those are the one, you know the ones of us that have maybe grown cold. Those among us who have uh, slacked off. One who doesn't, ones who do not quite have the, the fervor and the fire that they once did to serve you. Lord, my prayer is, is that you would stir us up here tonight. God, my prayer is that you would move amongst us. Lord, my prayer is for a, an outbreak of your Holy Spirit. My prayer is for, a great, for you to move in a great way tonight, a great moving of your Spirit. My prayer is, is that you would meet every need here tonight. God, those that have grown cold and indifferent, God, today, let tonight be the night that you'd rekindle those flames. Let tonight be the night that whatever it's going to take, but you'd set us ablaze again. God, let tonight be the night that we begin to hunger and thirst after you. Lord, let tonight be the night that we would desire you your word and our walk with you more than the very air that we breathe. God, let tonight be the night that we would begin to turn to you and seek you for everything. Not just whenever it gets beyond our control, but we would seek you and call upon you first for everything before we do anything. God, let tonight be the night, God, that we would begin to cry out to you and for you like we once did before. Lord, let tonight be the night that revival would begin in our church and in our hearts and, and sweep through our land, Lord. Let tonight be the night, God, that you would move in a mighty way upon your servants, upon your people here tonight. And God will be, whatever you choose to do tonight, whatever your will would be, we're going to leave here rejoicing, glorifying you, and giving you all the glory for everything that is done. So Lord, I'm asking, if there's any here that need a touch from you, God, give them that touch tonight. If there's any that are lost and undone, Lord, my prayer is that tonight's the night that they come to themselves. Tonight's the night that they get saved. God, have your way and your will in our midst. And Lord, let me ask one more thing. And it don't even seem right to ask anything else of you. But Lord, let me ask, I need your help. I can't preach without you. I got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So I'm asking that you preach me one more time here tonight. I'm asking, Lord, that you would just... Uh, Fill me full of your spirit. <clears throat> Pour your holy unction out upon me. Clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say tonight. Lord, let everyone know when they leave here that they've heard from you. 
God, we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Um, let me point out a couple things to you tonight. Let me shed this coat first. Um, I, I read all of 37 this morning, and I began with chapter 39. And you might be wondering what happened to chapter 38. Why is this preacher skipping around? Well, chapter 38 is kind of a... Um, I've lost what the right word is for it, but it's going off in another direction. It's telling us about Judah and about Tamar and what happened there and their situation, how that come about and what ended up taking place there. And so it's important and it's placed in this position for a reason. But when it comes to the story of Joseph, it really, it's not it's not part of this part of the story of Joseph, okay? So I want you to notice the last verse I read to you this morning in chapter 37. And the Mennonites sold him, him being Joseph, into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, uh, so a Pharaoh's army and a captain of the guard. That's actually Pharaoh's elite group that would have guarded him and always been near to him, right? So Potiphar would have been somebody very close to Pharaoh and somebody Pharaoh trusted with his life and not just his life but the life of his family all right so that's where that's where we left off this morning right Joseph is sold and and one thing maybe you picked up on it maybe you haven't but it seems like there is the words Ishmaelites and Mennonites is just being used interchangeably here I don't have the perfect explanation for you I'll tell you what I think I think at this point in time, Ishmaelites are, are, are is a word used to use for anybody who was kind of traveling merchants, who were traders and traveling merchants. And I think these traders and traveling merchants were actually Midianites from Midian, okay? That's my thought on it. Um, I think that's why the terms are used interchangeably. You might have a better explanation. If you do, I would love to hear it after the service. Regardless, this group of traveling merchants is who they had sold Joseph's brothers had sold Joseph to for 20 pieces of silver right that's less than the price of a slave a slave was 30 pieces of silver right and that makes sense right these traveling merchants right they're looking to make money they're not going to give full price for him they're going to sell him for 30 pieces of silver so they're going to pay 20 pieces of silver Joseph's brothers are willing to take that, right, uh, in order to get rid of their brother. And so anyways, it's all profit to them. That's the way they see it. So anyways, the last verse in chapter 37 is, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and the captain of the guard. Now look at the first verse in chapter 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, um, an Egyptian, Brought him of bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Okay, so you you see there where these how these connect, right? We're picking back up on the story of Joseph. Now I've just read to you the entire thirty ninth chapter. Pray for me because I have no idea how I'm going to preach what I need to preach tonight. Um, I would love to just tell you the story, the rest of. Joseph and Joseph's life. As a matter of fact, I was even asked about it uh, after church this morning. But man, it goes through the rest of the book of Genesis, right? It goes through chapter 50. I don't have enough time to do that, all right? And I'm kind of a slow storyteller too, you know, so it took me over 30 minutes to do one chapter this morning, right? Man, you know, so it would take me five hours or no, it would take me longer than that. Take me a long time probably to do the rest. But anyways, let's just talk about this for a little bit and see where the Lord will take us in this, all right? So we understand the feeling from this morning. We understand the feeling of Joseph's brothers, right? Diana keeps nodding her head yes to me, so I'm assuming she's speaking for the rest of you. You and are on the same page because I'm taking her yeses, all right? So anyways, and I appreciate that. You just keep on nodding. Anyway, so, they, so the brothers, we understand the feeling that the brothers had for Joseph. We understand why Jacob favored Joseph, right? I mean, when I say we understand it, we realize that it was bad in, in the sense of a father and he shouldn't do that. But we also understand the circumstances that led him 
to feeling that way, right? And, and they've had enough, right? This crazy, this screamer with the crazy coat, they've had enough. They have finally gotten rid of him. So chapter 39 follows Joseph's life and is telling us in chapter 40 and chapter 41 and 42, right? It follows Joseph and is telling us the things that are happening in Joseph's life. So what happens with Joseph and Joseph's life, right? He goes to, um, uh, you know, first of all, he's taken to Egypt. He's sold as a slave in Egypt. But yet, you know, we might, some people might say, well, he locked out, right? Because he sold to Potiphar, right? I mean, it's obviously better to be a slave in one of the top guys, super rich, powerful guy's house than it would be to a slave in somebody's house who barely can afford a slave. I mean, it's just... There's going to be nicer things, right? They're, they're going to have nicer coffee and, you know, better satellite uh, uh, subscription and all that kind of stuff, right? There's going to be better amenities. It's better to be in the rich guy's house, probably. I don't know. But anyway, uh, so he sold the Pontifer, right? And he is going to be just a servant, right? He's 17 years old. You remember that, okay? He's 17 years old. He is sold as a slave in Egypt to Potiphar, right? The captain of the guard, right? The elite group of the Egyptian army that would have been right there that would have guarded Pharaoh. And so anyways, uh, God favors Joseph, right? Everything uh, uh, Joseph touches, God blesses, right? And so anyways, Potiphar, he is a, he's a smart guy. You don't get in a position like that by being a dummy, all right? You don't get in a position like that by being an idiot. Uh, Potiphar was a smart and observant guy, and he recognized this touch, right, this blessing that was on Joseph. Now, don't mistake it whenever it says that he realized the Lord was with him, right? It, it, don't, don't mistake and think Potiphar was a godly man. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just he recognized, right, uh, that, that Joseph was a blessed man and whatever he done turned out well. So Potiphar, being a smart man, says, well, all right, this is how things will go well at my house and I won't have to worry about anything. I'll put Joseph in charge of all of it. Joseph's in charge of all of it, so everything will do well, right, from the things in the house to the crops in the field, right? Everything goes good, goes well. Plumb to the point, Potiphar doesn't even have to worry about it. He doesn't even have to think about it, right? He can concentrate on his job, which is really to protect Pharaoh and keep Pharaoh happy, right? That is his, that's really his job. He can concentrate on that. He don't have to worry about anything at the house, except for his wife. He's got to keep her happy. <laughs> but he doesn't have to worry about anything else. Joseph's got it. Joseph is a goodly man. Right? Joseph is a man who is well-favored. Joseph is a man who is trustworthy. Right? I mentioned to you this morning, right, that Joseph is a type of Christ. That's why we don't ever see him portrayed as sinning, even though we obviously know that he wasn't sinless. But anyways, Joseph was, was somebody trustworthy. And so anyways, Potiphar has put him in charge of everything. Everything is going great, except for one problem. A bored housewife. Don't throw stones at me. It, it, we could probably, this isn't the place and setting to do it, but we could probably do a study on Pontifer's wife, and we could see and find that there's a lot of Pontifer's wives, right, today, okay? That type of person. What has happened is she's blessed, she's well cared for, blessed in the sense that she doesn't want for anything, right? She's well cared for, um, she's whatever she wants at her fingertip, there are servants to do everything. But I'm willing to bet, I'm just guessing here, Scripture doesn't say it, but her husband's a busy man. And maybe she, that's the one thing that she wants is more of his attention. Then again, maybe she's just one of these girls, all right? I'm not going to go any farther than that with it, but, you know, maybe. We don't know what the deal is. The point is, is there's this young, good-looking, strong, foreign boy, Hebrew boy, right? He stands out a little bit from the rest of the crowd who is there working in the house and doing all these things and probably all kinds of nice, probably very polite, 
probably shows her a little bit of attention just trying to be nice and, you know, ta- making sure she's taken care of and everything. And she gets a liking for him. And she says, hey, boy, let's have a little flame. But Joseph's not that kind of boy. Right? Joseph, he's a good church boy, right? He never missed Sunday school. I mean, he is right there. He's one of the readies by, I mean, he's a good boy. And he says, no. And she says, oh, you like to play hard to get. I like that. And so she just chases him a little harder, right? She's like, that's all right. The chase is fun. And so she goes to chasing him. Well, the thing is, he's not playing hard to get he actually means it he's serious he's really not going to do this he's determined he's not going to be corrupted by her by the world by Egypt you realize Egypt represents the world right he is in the world now he's no longer in the promised land he is now in the world right and the devil is coming after him hey I told you he's a type of Christ right the devil is trying to destroy him and take him down right this is a temptation listen to me this is a great temptation for any man especially for a young man like Joseph. I mean, think about it. I'm not going to go into details. He's 17 years old. I mean, maybe, maybe Potiphar's wife was the ugliest woman to ever walk in Egypt, but I doubt it highly. This is a great temptation. The devil knows it, and the devil's using it. And the devil is trying to destroy what God is doing. Listen to me. That's what he still does today. When God is at work and what God is... Look, if you leave here not really realizing this, you are deceiving yourself and fooling yourself. What God is trying to do in you, with you, and through you, the devil is doing everything he can to destroy it. That's what's going on here. That's what's happening here. God's trying to do something. Something so great. But 3,500 years later, we're reading about it. Something so great that it's in the Word of God that's worthy to be a type of Christ for us to read and study and learn from today. God is trying to do something amazing. God is going to use Joseph to be the Savior of an entire nation, His chosen people. So, Poniphar's wife is trying to work her magic. She's trying to put the moves on Joseph. And Joseph keeps fending her off. He keeps saying no. He keeps, tries to keep his distance, but listen to me. The old devil has been doing this for a long time. He is a wily sucker. He's good at what, he's, what he does. And Joseph is the 17-year-old boy, and he makes a foolish mistake of being alone with her at the wrong time and saying no to her one more time. He finds himself one day going about his business, doing his job in his chores, and he is there in the house taking care of things that he's supposed to take care of, and it happens to be in this moment that it is only him and her. Listen to me, Christian. You be careful when you get caught alone with, with someone of the opposite sex. Do not, even though you might be as innocent as Joseph and have no intentions, don't you give the devil an opportunity. Don't you give him a foothold to get in and to ruin your witness and your testimony, right? That's what he's going to try to do. You heard, you've heard the joke before about the preacher, right? Preacher comes to town and, and, and I mean... That church that he come to was like the church that he left, you know, where they lived by the saying is, we want a poor, humble preacher. Lord, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. Well, you know, it was kind of one of them. The old preacher's car wasn't, wasn't that good. 
And it broke down on him from time to time. And it broke down on him right out here off of the, you know, this main business strip right in front of the local tavern bar, okay? And I mean, you know, it dies and off in the ditch he goes. And I mean, he ain't got money. I mean, look at the old car he's driving, right? He ain't got the money to call a tow truck or anything like that. He hitchhikes, you know, catches a ride back to the house. It's next day or so later before he gets, out, gets help, gets out there and gets his old car running and back on the road. Well, the problem is, is nosy Bessie has seen his car there in front of the barn all night. Now, how would she see it out there all night? Where was she at and what was she doing? I want to know. But anyway, she knew it had been there. And she's calling everybody and telling them, the preacher spent all night. His car was at the bar all night long. Well, he finds out and he says, I know what I'll do. I know how you fix a nosy Bessie. He takes his car and parks it out in front of her house and leaves it there all night. <laughs> Listen to me. Now, that's all good and fun and well. But the old devil is looking for any opportunity. It could be as innocent as all. You know what I'm saying? But if it, but if it can be twisted to look like the servant of God is not living in a manner that is glorifying God, right? if there's anything that he can get a hold of there to destroy you and to destroy your witness and your testimony, Right? He's wanting lost people out here to look at you and say, if that's what a Christian looks like, I don't want nothing to do with them. You see what I'm saying? Joseph makes a mistake. He didn't do a thing in the world wrong, but he makes a mistake of being in the house with Potiphar's wife when it's just him and her, and she says, boy, I'm going to make you a man today. She wants to lie with him again. And she grabs him by his garment, his outer garment, and he jerks away and he pulls away. And, of course, she, you know, they didn't wear pants like we do. It's more of a wraparound robe type thing. And anyway, so he just comes right out of it. And he's, he's just trying to get away from her. He's not thinking about how this looks or anything like that. He's just trying to get away from her. And so he runs out the door, embarrassed, flabbergasted, probably runs off and hides for just, you know, a few minutes trying to get a hold of himself, doesn't know how to handle this, how to react, you know what I'm saying, doesn't know the tricks the devil is up to, doesn't know to get out there and get ahead of the story. You see what I'm saying? And what does she do? She, uh, the, the Satan is whispering in her ear real well, right? Uh, she had been around the block a time or two. She knows how to ruin somebody, all right? She calls in the other servants, right? We don't know. Maybe some of them was kind of jealous of Joseph in the position, right? A young man that's gotten into this position this fast, okay? And so anyway, she calls in the other servants and she says, Looky here. The proof is right here, right? Uh, uh, Potiphar has brought this, this foreign boy, right? This Hebrew boy, right? That's the scum to them, right? Brought him in here in order to mock us. Uh, or brought him in here and he come and tried to lie with me in order to mock us. She gets the help all riled up and on her side and all of them saying, right, if Potiphar goes around and asks, they're all going to say, yeah, yes, you know, they didn't see it. All they know is what she said. But she got to him first. And then Ponifer comes home. Think about it for just a minute. If you were Ponifer, you come home. Joseph's been a good boy, but this is the story your wife has told you. Kind of reminds you of that bloody coat from this morning, doesn't it? Physical evidence, and just you can draw a conclusion from that. It's not really what happened, right? It's just a bloody coat, right? In her case, all she's got, you know, is the garment that she ripped off of him. 
but she's using that as evidence, right, to portray. And she says, that Hebrew that you brought here, right? So she's already sitting back on her, on her heels like he has endangered his family and his household by bringing this, this, this despicable Hebrew in here. And you brought this Hebrew in here and set him over everything and look what he's done. He's wanting to mock you and mock me and he come in here to have his way with me. And when I let out that blood-curdling scream, which never happened, he practically jumped right out of his skin, as so much so that he left his clothes here. Here is the proof. Ponifer is mad. Wouldn't you be? Ponifer is, I mean, he's seeing blood, right? Wouldn't you be? We could speculate and we could guess, you know, maybe Ponifer, you know, had suspicions, thought this or that, you know, and maybe that's why he threw him in jail instead of killing him. I don't know, it's all speculation. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But we do know that he was wroth. That's the Bible says that, uses that word wroth. He was angry. He was upset, right? He is, he is, he takes Joseph, right? I see him grabbing him by the scruff of the neck. And he takes him and he throws him into the, actually it's a special prison that they've got, right? And so anyways, throws him in this prison. Matter of fact, Joseph refers to it later as a dungeon. He throws him in there. It's not a, you got a two-year sentence and you're free or nothing like that. You're thrown in here to rot, right? I told you whenever I used Joseph as an example a couple weeks ago that really most people in that day and time didn't live through their prison sentence. Prison sentence was a, was a death sentence for most of them. But here's the thing. He's in prison, but yet God's hand is still on him. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about this whole deal, right? That's a raw deal, right? He's trying to do the right thing, and it gets him thrown in jail, right? I mean, you know, the, the thoughts got across his mind. He could have had his way with Potiphar's wife, and, you know, he wouldn't be here right now. But he done the right thing, right? He, done, he chose God over the world. And now he's in prison. But it's not that the devil won. It's not that God forgot him. It's not that God left him. God's got bigger plans, right? There was something that was going to happen in that prison on down the line a little bit. A little bit of time's going to go by. There is something that is going to happen, right? We don't know. We know he's in prison for more than two years. We don't know how long he's a servant of Potiphar, and we don't know how long he's in prison. But we know that he's 17 when he's sold into slavery, and we know that he's 30 years old when he comes out of the prison. Okay? So he could have been in there several years. We don't know. When he's in prison, God's hands on him. God's blessing. And it don't take long until the keeper of the prison sees that God's hand is on him. So he makes him a trustee. He starts put, giving him power over the other prisoners, over taking care of the place, over doing things. He can trust him, right? So, so he rises to the top in the prison because God's hands on him, God's blessing. I don't know how, long, how far I should go with this story. I know that some time goes by and both Pharaoh's personal baker and his personal butler both get thrown into prison. And of course, they would have been under, Joseph would have been over them as a, like a trustee. He would have been kind of over them in the prison. Um, I've often wondered, what did the butler and the baker both do to get thrown in prison at the same time? I got a theory, if you want to hear it. I think the baker got the salt and the sugar mixed up and the butler delivered the bad goodies to Pharaoh and Pharaoh was, I mean, he didn't get his sugar fixed and he's upset and he throwed them both in prison. I don't know. Bible doesn't say that. One night, they, they, they both have dreams. Butler and the baker both. Joseph's this dreamer, but really he's an interpreter of dreams. And so anyways, they come to him, the butler first, and he shares his dream with him. And Joseph interprets it, and it's good. Butler's going to be restored shortly to his position. 
the baker, hearing the, the good interpretation, says, I like the way this boy, I, I like this. So he decides that he's going to share. I know he's thinking he's going to get good news too, but it's not. <laughs> the, uh, the baker's dream, not good. He's fixing to lose his head, right? He's fixing to lose his life. Um, Joseph had asked the butler, said, remember me, right? Whenever you go back and you're restored, remember me. I'm falsely imprisoned here. I have done nothing wrong. Remember me to Pharaoh. Tells us Pharaoh's having a birthday party and he's happy, he's in a good mood. And he must have come to the conclusion that it's, it's, actually, it's actually not the butler's fault, it's that ignorant baker's fault. He's the one that baked the bad goodies, right? The butler just delivered them. So he executes, I don't know, I'm joking, but he executes the baker and he restores the butler, just as Joseph interpreted the dream. But the butler forgot Joseph. Two more years go by. Could you imagine how that must have felt for Joseph? Two more years. That rotten, no good, he forgot me. But you see, it's not whether or not some, somebody remembers you or forgets you. God had not forgotten. God's the one that's in control. God's the one that's in charge. God's the one that is orchestrating everything. God is the one that, move, that is moving everything, right? So, I'm going to go on. It's going to be 10 o'clock, and I'm still going to be telling this story of Joseph. I'm going to get to my point. Make all the rest of it as short as I can. Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh actually has two dreams. Uh, they're important dreams. They're instrumental not only for Pharaoh, Pharaoh's family, for the nation of Egypt, but much more importantly, they are instrumental, it, those dreams are instrumental having to do with the future of God's people. Right? Because when those dreams come along and none of Pharaoh's wise men, none of his magicians, none of the people in his court can interpret them, that's when the butler remembers, oh, yeah. There's this guy I met in jail. How does that ever start well, right? I mean, I'm not sure how much, when you start out, and Scott's like, I met this guy in jail. No. But anyways, that's how the story goes. So Joseph is brought out. He interprets the dreams because of the great wisdom that's shown, because of God's favor. And of course, the dreams come true. Uh, Joseph is set, and this is when he's 30 years old, he comes out of prison. He is set in charge. There is nobody above him but Pharaoh, right? You see the exact same thing that happened in Potiphar's household, right, where, that I read to you tonight, where Potiphar didn't even, he didn't even know what he had and what was going on. He trusted it all to Joseph, and Joseph took care of it. And because of God's hand on Joseph, it was, a, everything, it was blessed. Everything turned out well and prosperous and prospered, right? You see that exact same scenario with um, Joseph over all of Egypt now. Right, he's second in command. He's like uh, the only modern posi position or equivalent I could think of in any type of government, and we don't have one. We don't have anybody in that kind of position here in the United States, but like the prime minister, right, of, of a country like um, Great Britain, for instance, uh, or United Kingdom, whatever the proper name is there. Um, it would be like the prime minister. That is the kind of position that Joseph is put into. Joseph goes from... Rich man's favorite child, right? Don't mistake, Jacob was a rich man. He goes from a rich man's favorite child to a slave in Egypt to an imprisoned slave, right? That's a whole other lower class. To an imprisoned slave to prime minister of Egypt. Most, at that point, probably the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. All by the time that he was 30 years old. Now, I've got, and I, I made myself a note for this morning, and I'm going to share it with you real quick here tonight. I wrote down four things that I think that we can learn from Joseph's life. Right? Okay? So, these four things... Um, 
Joseph remained, the first one was Joseph remained faithful. Through it all, Joseph remained faithful. Do you know how tempting it would have been to have doubted God in the low places? Especially when he's, especially when he's in, wrongfully imprisoned. He's in prison for doing the right thing. And then when he's in, after he's in prison, when the butler forgot him. That's going to be another low point. Through it all, Joseph remained faithful. In this ungodly world, he remained a faithful and dependable servant. Can I implore you tonight, Christian, that we ought to be faithful, dependent, or dependable servants of God. Right? Uh, we should not be trying to cheat nobody. We shouldn't be taking claim for something that we did not do. Right? We, we should, in, in all manner, we should try to emulate the same behavior. The second thing that I wrote down here, that I want, point I wanted to make this morning, is Joseph didn't give in. Do you know how easy it would have been for him to give in to temptation? Do you know how tempting it would have been? He was a 17-year-old boy. Do you know how, te- how easy and tempting it would have been for him to, gather, to give in? But he resisted the temptation. He resisted the temptation. Church... Can I implore you? Trials and temptations will come your way. The devil is going to use everything that he can to tempt you. And you need to follow Joseph's example. Right? I mean, I think here, symbolically, is an example of the situations that we face often in life. Right? Just like Joseph faced. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if it's easier to flee temptation or to avoid it altogether, but really uh, we need to learn how to do both and do both equally well. And we need to avoid it at all costs, and if we find ourselves in a, where we've not successfully avoided it, then we need to flee it. Not consider it, not dwell on it. If you know an area in your life where you are particularly weak, you need to learn to avoid it. Do you realize, the Bible talks about, Jesus talks about if your eye causes you to offend, to pluck it out. If your hand causes you to offend, you'd be better off without it, right? You'd be better off to go through this life without it than to go to hell with it. I look today and there's temptations like, I hate to say like there's never been before, but it sure seems that way. Do you know one of the, I don't know how to say this, huge things that is going on? Pornography. Pornography is a, is a worse problem today. Right? As preachers, we harped on people gossiping for years and years and years, preached on gossiping. Um, but pornography has way out way out um, surpassed it as a problem and it's common uh, you might think pornography and you might think uh, of only young men but listen to me look up the statistics on it I don't have the numbers in front of me but it will shock you at how fast pornography is growing as a problem among women also none are exempt from the temptations it's unbelievable but it's true. That is the kind of effect that deviancy and sin has on a person and has on a mind. Right? Plumb to the point of corrupting natural affections, right? Unnatural affections. That is what the Bible literally warns us of in the last days. It's better to do without, right? 
wherever the source of a temptation is coming from, whatever the avenue is, right, I used to have a preacher friend that would talk about the television and he'd talk about the computer. That was really before the day that everyone had a cell phone. Cell phones were just coming on the phone, but coming on to the, you know, it was just, they were just getting common. But anyways, he would refer to those things as a snake hole. Meaning it was a hole, it was a place where the devil could get in. Listen to me. You'd be better off if that snake, if that's a snake hole for you, you'd be better off to throw away with it and go, as we like to say, old school, right? Do it the old way, do without, than to let that little device in your pocket take you to hell. Let me tell you something else Joseph didn't do. Joseph didn't retaliate. Joseph, when he becomes second in power, he didn't say, I got a lot of scores to settle. There's a lot of guys back there in Potiphar's house that could have stood up for me and knew that what was being said wasn't the truth. Well, I've got my chance now. I'm going to squish them. I'm going to squish them like the little ants that they are. Right? He could have even done a number on Potiphar, the one who threw him in prison. Do you understand? At this point, Joseph is above Potiphar. But Joseph didn't retaliate. Right? Doesn't the Bible tell us, doesn't the Lord tell us that vengeance is his? Right? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Listen, Joseph was not given a fair trial by Potiphar. We don't have where Joseph said anything, and, and maybe he didn't make a defense of himself, but probably more likely, Potiphar didn't, wasn't having none of it. Potiphar wasn't listening. Potiphar didn't give him an opportunity to say anything. Potiphar, in that moment of rage, forgot all the dependable and honest service that Joseph had performed for him, right? Over one false accusation. But Joseph didn't retaliate. Listen to me, church. There's been a lot of good Christians that have lost a lot of respect and have lost their testimony, lost their witness, not lost their testimony, but lost their witness, at least with some people, because of deciding they need to get even, deciding they need to retaliate. Somebody done them wrong. Somebody, I'll tell you what's worse than that. Somebody done their kids wrong. We've got to learn. It's not ours to get even. Vengeance is not... God doesn't say, if you can't avenge them, then I'll take care of them. That's not what he says. That's the nature. That's definitely my nature anyway. Right? Don't worry, I'll settle the score. That's my nature. But that's not what God tells us to do. And that's not what the Bible teaches us to do. And I'm preaching on Joseph tonight. Joseph had a much better opportunity than you and I will ever have for vengeance. And he didn't do it. And one last thing. Joseph was patient. Now I've talked about tonight, and I wanted you to try to feel what Joseph must have felt like uh, those two years when the butler was supposed to, you know, put in a good word to him, Pharaoh, and the butler forgot about him. But honestly, we've got nothing in the scripture that tells us that Joseph was impatient at any point. And so we see that Joseph was patient. Right? Even when his release from prison wasn't forthcoming or didn't come quickly, uh, his patience, I know, was tested a little. I know that he probably at different times thought that, you know, okay, God's going to intervene, God's going to, you know, but it was all in, it wasn't in Joseph's time, it was in God's time. And Joseph remained patient. We've got to realize that our victory may not come when we think it ought to come. That's hard. That's hard for me, right? Uh, I've talked about God's timing being perfect. That's in everything. He don't show up late, but he don't show up early either. It's in God's time. And do you know how many times, the, you know, we just need to, well, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to tell on myself too much tonight. We've got to just sit back and say, you know what? God will take care of it. God will take care of it. And you know what? If they've really done something wrong or if they really wronged me or whatever, there may come a point where God brings them to repentance, right? And God will forgive them. 
And we need, to, we need to, actually, that's what we need to pray for. And we need to rejoice if that happens. Because that's the same mercy that we want showed up. Not only that we want, that's the same mercy that God has shown to us. So, as we live in these last days, it's easy to wonder. It's easy to doubt. It's easy to be tempted. It's easy to go, I can't believe the you know, Lord's letting this go on and he's not returned yet. And it's easy to wonder how much worse, right? How much worse can it possibly get? How much more evil, right, can run rampant? How far will God let it go? I don't know. And I don't have the answer to that. And I can't tell you how much you'll have how much more you'll have to endure unto the end. But I want to remind you of Christ's words, and I'm closing with this. I'm ending with this. Matthew 24, 13 says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Joseph endured. He didn't lose his faith. He didn't lose his patience. Right? He didn't lose his cool. Right? He didn't give in to temptation. Right? He didn't lose his, uh, his witness to temptation. He endured. And we have the promise from God that if we endure to the end, we'll be saved likewise. As Jennifer gets ready to play a song of invitation, can I remind you of the words of an old hymn? It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. It will. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come tonight? If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, would you come tonight? Whatever it may be, don't miss this opportunity. Maybe there's somebody on your heart, somebody you need to be praying for, right? Maybe there's something God's dealing with you about somebody. Maybe it's somebody who's going through some hard times. Maybe it's somebody that's in need of salvation. Maybe it's somebody who said, I don't know what it is. But if God has burdened your heart, would you come tonight? Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come tonight? Would you come?